all know the damage that fires are capable of. What we don't always understand is the cause, behavior, and what to do in the aftermath of a fire. Today, you'll understand these aspects just a little bit more. Welcome to Speaking of Fire with Mike Schlattman and Donna Ingram. We will give you tips on fire prevention, how to deal with insurance matters, and more. Now, here are your hosts, Donna and Mike. Hello, and welcome to Speaking of Fire. This is your host, Mike Slatman, uh, past president of the International Association of Arson Investigators. Honored to be that. And a uh, fire expert with my own company for over 45 years. And um, also with me as our co-host. This is Donna, and I'm a past director of the IAAI and belong to many of the chapters and have almost 30 years in insurance fraud and fire claims. Right. And I'll tell you what, before we get started, I've got to say something for all the firefighters and police out there and uh, private investigators. um, On on, uh, February 15th at 9 a.m. at the federal courthouse in Kansas City, Missouri, there's a resentencing hearing for Brian Shepard. A convicted killer of the six firefighters in Kansas in Kansas City back in 1988. He wasn't convicted until 1996, um, along with the other perpetrators. Uh, one of his uh, perpetrators was his um, relative that uh, that even uh, uh, told how they uh, the story about what happened. Um, he's being resentenced, and he may even get out. Um, the firefighters are still dead. He's only served. Uh, since 96, and we believe that we need to turn out. Uh, Police and fire uh, and private investigators need to make a showing there in uniform um, in Gaetan, Judge Gaetan's court on the 15th. Please try to be there uh, to show the support for the families of the fallen firefighters and for the firefighters themselves and for the police um, the ATF agent, uh, now uh, retired, has been uh, criticized uh, unjustly, in my opinion. So, kindly please show up. Now, today, we have uh, on our show, we are honored to have the uh, management team of the International Association of Arson Investigators. And, uh, that's, and I'm going to I'm gonna read you some of, some of their backgrounds here before we talk to them. Um, George Cotting is the president of the International Association of Arson Investigators, uh, which is a worldwide organization of over well, about 9,000 members, yeah, 79 chapters in 50 countries. And in 1988, um, he was a district attorney, deputy di- district attorney in Denver, when uh, he became a volunteer firefighter and de- doing liaisons with fire investigators. He's steadily involved in fire since then. And um, and was elect. He was the president of the Denver uh, chapter. Uh, then got elected to the board of directors, and then second vice president, and now moved up to first vice president. He um, he left the DA's office in 2004, become becoming a statewide and um, uh, prosecutor. <clears throat> Excuse me. He's taught on legal and fire investigation topics in many in internationally and speaks French, Spanish, and Portuguese, so you can, you can actually yell, him, yell at him in all those languages and you'll understand it. Uh, he's a former police officer and served as a volunteer firefighter for the last 27 years. Uh, so, George, I'm just going to say hi to you now before I introduce uh, uh, Scott Bennett. So, 
Hello, George. Hello, Mike. Thank you for having me on your show. Well, thank you. Hi, George. Hi, Donna. Okay, so now Scott Bennett is the first vice president of the International Association of Arson Investigators and is the um, is an investigator and uh, co-founded Fire and Explosion Consultants uh, in Ohio. Um, and he is uh, he has over uh, he was a volunteer fire cadet in 1976 and has over 40 years in the fields of fire science, law enforcement, and explosion investigations. He's a court qualified expert, of course, in federal, state, and local courts, and uh, was pre- uh, began in the Ohio chapter and was the chapter's um, uh, fire investigator of the year. And he was he serves on the executive board of the International as first vice president. Hello, Scott. Well, hello, Mike and Donna. I'm glad to be here today. Thank you. Thank you. Hi, and Scott. hi, thanks. And Bumper Moylan, uh, who is uh, who is works for SEA Limited, uh, and they were kind enough to um, to do a banner ad on this particular show. I must I must thank them for that. I think he had something to do with that. Um, and by the way, uh, Randy Watson, who was on a previous show, was also works for SEA, a fine uh, investigation firm. Uh, he has a bachelor's of science degree in fire science and uh, and is a um, adjunct uh, professor, actually, uh, with the Union County Fire Academy. Um, he has been an investigator and supervisor of an arson bomb squad and has text- testified as an expert in many fields of fire and explosions and firearms um, as, a, as an expert. He's a graduate of the FBI National Academy and the Redstone Arsenal Hazardous Devices School for Bomb Technicians. He's currently the second vice president of the International. And by the way, uh, these uh, offices will change uh, at the International Training Conference in April in Las Vegas, uh, where we encourage all uh, members of the chapters to go there. And Bumper, please say hello to our, our uh, audience. Hello, Mike and uh, Donna. Uh, uh, thank you so much uh, for having me on the show. It's quite an honor. And uh, hello to the listening audience. Uh, thanks for uh, taking your time to chime in here and listen to us. Thank you. Okay. Thank you, George. Now, I mean, so thank you, Bumper. You're, I know who you are. Okay. I just want you to know. I'm reading. I moved to my George page. George, yes. you're the international. And other than having, uh, having to run the... Uh, executive team which is enough uh problems in itself what is your what do you find is the the challenge for the president of the international well really you know this is an organization with just about nine thousand members but as you mentioned it has 79 chapters as well and so in my view we're really a a family of about 25 or 30,000 well 20 or 25,000 people anyway and so it's really really busy um anybody who serves as an executive or a director in this organization is doing so as a volunteer, of course. We all have uh, jobs on uh, on the side, if you will, and uh, we have to do. And so it's, it, it, there's, a lot, there's a lot of moving parts of this organization. There's a lot of emails all the time and a lot of things to, uh, to respond to and, and to deal with, uh, and it's all good. Uh, we have... Um, like you say, all the members, we have uh, credentialing programs, uh, we have advocacy work, we have our journal. We're gearing, gearing up for the annual conference now as well, like you mentioned. And we have a, a web-based training platform, which is uh, cfitrainer.net, that is very popular. So there's a lot to do. And because of that, um, 
sometimes it feels like uh, you're just putting out fires, no pun intended, just dealing with <laughs> situations and, and issues that come up and, and not having a lot of time to really think about the big issues and the, and the, the, the philosophical things that, that are so important to, uh, to, to this organization. So sometimes it's just, just being tied up in the details and not having a chance to really, um, to really think about the big stuff. But I think we've had a chance to, to do that as well. And thank you so much for your service. Um, and it is all volunteer, and, and that's a lot of time and money spent and, and volunteer work, and it actually is literally saving lives. Uh, bringing that up, how does the International Association of Arson Investigators assist in fighting arson? Well, in a number of ways. Um, we, uh, you know, we're, we're, an invest- we're an organization for all fire investigators, so I would put out, that out there first. As you know, it's called the International Association of Arson Investigators, and that's a name that was coined back in 1949 when the organization was founded. Uh, but it's uh, obviously, uh, in order to know whether something is arson, you have to be able to uh, to investigate all fires and be able to uh, investigate accidental ones as well, natural ones, etc., not just arson fires. So despite the name of the organization, we are for all fire investigators. And in fact, we talked about the possibility of, of changing the name some time ago and decided to stick with it because it's a, a, you know, a very important fire service organization and very well known, and we thought that we would stick with the name and just maybe do a little bit of different branding. So to answer your question, um, first of all, we have the best training around. We put on regional training. We put on excellent training at our annual conference. And as I mentioned, we have the, the, the super web platform, cfitrainer.net, that has uh, over 80,000 registered users. Uh, the training helps investigators to determine when a fire is arson, uh, scientifically and in other ways, um, since the, the mere existence of a fire doesn't tell us whether or not there's been a crime. We also train people on testifying in court, uh, the techniques and challenges uh, of doing that. We have uh, a very well-respected courtroom testimony training that Mike is uh, terribly familiar with, uh, of course, uh, and we have the membership aspects. When you come to our meetings and when you come to your chapter meetings, you're meeting people from all across the profession. So if you're from the fire service, you're hanging out with people from the police department and vice versa. Uh, district attorneys um, and other prosecutors and other attorneys attend our meetings. Um, Sam Shannon is uh, a great uh, prosecutor that I believe was on your show last week. And uh, she's just a good example of when you can go to a meeting and actually speak to the DA and, and uh, rub elbows with them, find out what they want and what they need in order to have a good um, arson case. And, All right. Uh, <clears throat> Excuse me. Yeah, no, no, uh, George, yeah. yes, and I, and, I, and I agree with you 100%, and thank you for, for the, uh, the reinforcement on the expert witness testimony course for the IAAI teaches, uh, be, and that's the last uh, uh, step that you generally need to, to get the IAAI certified fire investigator, um, which is the, uh, the highest uh, certification you can get in the, in the world, is it not? That's correct. Um, a lot of people will take that courtroom testimony course uh, in order to fulfill that requirement. There are a number of other requirements as well. And, and yes, I would consider it to be the, the highest regarded, uh, the widely available fire investigator certification uh, in the right. world. Uh, other and people you? can qualify by having testified in court and, and uh, proving that, but a lot of people take that course as well. 
And I know we've expanded that uh, to internationally, so we even give it in different languages. Uh, we're going to have Rod Pevito, who is the CFI chair of the IAAI, in a, in a subsequent show. Uh, then we're going to the international show, and he's going to talk about that. But um, anyway, well, um, thank you for that information, George. I wanted to ask Scott, uh, you're a fi- you're a private fire investigator. Uh, you've been a member of the international for a long time, and and how does uh, well, but you because we know how public service generally handles uh, arson investigation. Well, it's was called an incendiary fires, and you're private investigator. How do um, how do you, how does your company handle uh, deal with the incendiary fires uh, when you're working for an insurance carrier? Good question, Mike. Thank you. Um, the first aspect to any of the fires that we approach on the private side. Um, we approach every fire the same manner, whether it would be a field fire um, or a multi-story commercial building involving fatalities. Um, we approach every fire the same. Um, all of our fires, we work in a full and systematic fashion. Um, that being said, I come from the the public side of it. I spent many years as a as a public arson investigator. Um, As a public investigator, um, you may have a limited time to work a case before you're sent to your next case. As a private origin and cause investigator, we work the investigation from A to Z, um, which means um, that vacant garage fire that nobody cares about, but yet we've been hired to determine what caused that small fire to become a big fire and destroy this barn? Um, our guys are able to work that fire from the very start, which means the phone call, when the phone call comes into our office, until our guys sit down and they generate a full report indicating the causation of that fire. Great. And Bumper. You work as a fire investigator for a national fire investigation company. How did you transition from a public to a private investigator? Well, when I first was assigned to the uh, arson task force, uh, I was with the uh, prosecutor's office, and that was structured. uh, The prosecutor, I think we were one of the first task forces in the country where it was run out of the prosecutor's office, and uh, it uh, consisted of a a, a, an attorney assigned full-time to the unit, and then uh, uh, full-time uh, law enforcement investigators, and then the task force was made up of the the different um, uh, police and fire within the uh, within the county, and they were actually police and firemen that liked each other and got along, and we had a great, uh, just a great team approach. So if it uh, uh, was determined to be an arson, uh, and I was the on-call investigator on that scene. That became my my investigation. And in dealing with that, uh, and especially joining the IAAI and realizing that uh, uh, what what a, a field and a commitment that this job was going to be, uh, I had the opportunity to and having worked homicide and worked undercover and whatnot. This this fire investigation was the best part of my law enforcement career, and, and I just took to it with the, with the passion and uh, uh, started going to more in, interaction with the IAAI. And then, ultimately, because of not every fire was arson, 
we would interact a lot with the private investigators. And when I started to see uh, uh, what I consider a brilliant career in fire investigation uh, that existed on the private side, I began to channel all my efforts before I retired towards educating myself as a, uh, as a fire investigator with a college degree and in courses. So my transition was being exposed to the private side, realizing that there was going to be a, a great career uh, outside of law enforcement and that I felt that I was actually accomplishing something by working uh, on the private side where I'm able to not only <clears throat> determine whether the fire is arson or if there is a, a product liability or, or uh, some oh, the nature of that where I'm actually able to help uh, in maybe life safety and identifying a product that, that's failing. So that was the right. transition that I had. I see. Well, um, a lot of a lot of us have uh, trans, uh, you know, transitioned from private. Uh, I was police also, uh, but uh, a lot of people come in from fire. Um, I know you now work for SEA, and SEA uh, uh, is a is a great firm, and that they have really professionals uh, working, and and a lot of them they come out of uh, uh, pu- uh, public service too, don't they? Uh, uh, many of them do. Uh, we're now in a in a situation where we are actually looking to interview uh, people at Eastern Kentucky University and University of New Haven, uh, where they're obtaining their college degrees and yes. uh, bringing them in and training them uh, from the ground ground up as far as actually working the fire scene. Uh, they come out of the college and they have a lot of background in the in the dynamics of the of, of fire and fire progression. But uh, uh, digging out the scene, as you would know, is a lot different from sitting in a classroom and reading a book about it. <laughs> All right, that's the f- future. <laughs> so now we're going to have to go to a break now. But when we come back, we're going to fur- have further discussions with George uh, and and uh, and Scott and and and. Well, it's William Bumper Moylan, so we'll be right back uh, after this uh, brief break. Come back. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Fire Consulting International provides consulting and expert fire origin and cause investigations. Our experienced, certified fire investigators have specialized skills to meet litigation requirements. We also provide peer review of reports for other investigative firms to assure they meet NFPA guidelines and ASTM standards. Educational classes and CEU classes are also provided. For professional investigations, contact Fire Consulting International at fcifire.com or call 913-262-5200. Fireanalysis.net offers cutting-edge, comprehensive programs unique to the insurance industry. Our vendor vetting assures regulatory compliance with the Sarbanes-Oxley Act, NFPA guidelines, and ASTM standards. We ensure that investigators' reports are in compliance with those standards. We also offer comprehensive programs to assure compliance with your company guidelines. Please contact fireanalysis.net. That's fireanalysis.net. 
Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Listening to Speaking of Fire with Mike Schlattman and Donna Ingram. To call in to today's show, please call 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. You may also send an email to connect at speakingoffire.com. Now, back to this week's program. Welcome back to Speaking of Fire. Thanks for joining us. Hi, uh, this is Mike Slapman again. We're going to talk to now, uh, for those just joining us, the president of the International Association of Arson Investigators, George Cotting, who is an attorney uh, as well as a volunteer firefighter and has worked in uh, with uh, arson investigation and, and fire investigation throughout the, the world and has taught. Um, George, you and I had uh, talked about this in the past, but uh, will you kind of go into um, – Tell the people about, you know, a, a disaster can happen in anybody's jurisdiction. Can you, can you talk about that for a moment? Absolutely, and that's something that I do like to tell people when I, when I do training uh, and teaching anywhere um, because, you know, I, I'm very happy to, to meet people, not only big names uh, in fire investigation uh, such as uh, you and, and Donna and so forth, but also uh, people who are just starting or people who come from small jurisdictions maybe small fire departments and, and plenty of volunteers. So I always like to tell them, you know, a big disaster can happen anywhere. It can happen in anyone's jurisdiction. I do like to mention um, it, the DA's office that I was in actually was in uh, Boulder, and that's the, uh, the DA's office that handled a uh, certain um, really big, high-profile murder case uh, that happened back in 1996. And it was uh, um, really interesting to see the, these agencies that were normally very peaceful, quiet jurisdictions being overwhelmed by a case that just had tremendous publicity, press from around the world, uh, and, and pressures from everywhere. And uh, it was just very interesting to see. And I always like to, to remind people that, that that could happen to you. I also think about uh, there was a tragic uh, fatal explosion and fire that happened in a fairly remote part of Colorado, my state, back in 2005. And that one stuck with me as well because it had three uh, children uh, who unfortunately died in, in this explosion and fire. Uh, and it was a volunteer fire department in a, just a very tiny little town. And I just imagine what it would be like to, to be called up in the middle of the night as the fire investigator to go and take a look at, uh, at this fire. Obviously, the pressures were very high. The press was, uh, was very widespread, and uh, there was major litigation out of it. So I always like to warn people, this could happen to anybody. Um, you, have to, you have to know what you're doing. It doesn't matter whether you're a volunteer or paid a fire investigator, public, private, etc. The stakes are just too high to to not be well trained and to not be trying to get those certifications and 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 uh, the exposure to the best practices and the norms that that we have in our uh, industry. And the IAA helps uh, the IAAI helps uh, train those uh, small departments even in uh, fire investigation. Is that correct? Oh, absolutely. Um, the, the the training is for all, and uh, the training, like I say, and the best practices and the guides and standards that that the organization and the uh, the, the industry uses. Uh, it, very important training for everyone, and absolutely, we we welcome the uh, the small agency and the volunteers and so forth. And 
and if uh, those folks tend to get a start in the chapter level, tend to start to meet people in their own states or countries or areas uh, through involvement in the chapter, and so that makes the chapters just extremely important, not only to this organization, but to, uh, to getting the word out and to, and to getting the good training out uh, throughout the world. And how about you, Scott? You're up in Ohio. Do you have any cases that uh, you wanted to share with us? <laughs> <laughs> Very so briefly, as a as a young fire investigator, I came into work one morning working with a full-time um, arson investigation unit, and I was called by the local coroner's office, and I was asked to come over and take a look at a um, dead body. And I went to the coroner's office thinking, why in the world do they want me to come over and, and look at a, look at a person that they deal with every day? And I walked in, and it was a burn victim. Mm-hmm. And the coroner asked me just to look at the body and to to give my, if you would, my two cents worth um, regarding what I looked at. Um, I told the the doctor that this person was in an upright position um, based on the the fire patterns that were present. Um, The the doctor gave me the scenario that this person was in a motor vehicle, passenger, um, the driver applied the brakes of a car, a gasoline can in the back seat fell over. The, the, the driver dropped a cigarette, and the car caught fire, and this young lady passed away. Um, not being funny, but I began to look around uh, the, the morgue for another victim. And when the doctor asked me what I was doing, I said, well, if they're in a car, the car caught fire, she perished, where's the driver? And he said the driver had a very minor burn and was able to, to, uh, to, to get out. Um, Within the next 15 minutes, they had uh, impaneled a, a coroner's inquest, and I was directed to contact the local responding fire department and to tell the chief that he was wrong. Now, mm-hmm. all of us coming from the public sector, there's, there's lots of things we do, and there's very few things you don't do. And one of those things is tell a fire chief he's wrong. Right. Um, so... I picked myself up. I went to the fire department, knocked on the chief's door, introduced myself. He didn't know me. I didn't know him. Told him why I was there. Um, We talked about the the physics of gasoline and a cigarette and what can and cannot happen. The chief's response was to me, Scott, I got it wrong. Um, I should have never put this in writing. Um, make a long story short, we got involved, we worked the case, we made an arrest, and it was a 12-minute jury verdict, and this gentleman was guilty on all counts. Congratulations. Um, a, That's, yeah, that was great, because I, but, I knew when you were saying that that, that didn't happen. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> the, poor, the poor chief. I feel sorry for him. Uh, sometimes we're at the un, unenviable position to to uh, have to uh, talk to the fire department and, and uh, tell them that they were mistaken. And uh, we, we do it very diplomatically. I know you do. Absolutely. Absolutely, Mike. Yes, we do. A bumper. Hey, um, I know you've worked thousands of fires and uh, you're in you're in. Um, you're down in, in Florida now, aren't you? Yes. And uh, I don't know if anybody will notice it, but you really don't have a Floridian kind of an accent. <laughs> <laughs> I got an <laughs> accent. 
<laughs> oh, you got. Oh, I got an accent. Okay, well, one of us had it. I knew it was me. I, it should have been me. Well, talk to me about one of your great cases. I know you got a bunch of them because we, uh, yeah, we kind of like in the hospitality rooms uh, tell stories. So tell me one of your good stories. Will you? uh, I think the best one was I was still on the uh, public side and I got called to a local uh, community college, which is I, as a result of that investigation, I ended up teaching at the college uh, because of the investigation. But uh, uh, we had a situation where a uh, uh, conference room was uh, uh, totally burned out one night and uh, uh, fortunately had a limited population. The students were off uh, uh, studying for uh, finals, and uh, when I got to that scene, I had uh, found out that the previous night there had been nine fires set in the school, mm. and uh, the fire department nor the police were called to, the, to any of these fires. They were small and they were extinguished, but they never called called the uh, the public uh, sector. And uh, as I got into the investigation, uh, I I, re- I found out that. Over the series of uh, maybe nine months, there had been multiple bomb threats called in and uh, false alarms pulled and then other small fires around the, the, the campus. And uh, uh, some of our uh, uh, listeners may be familiar with the Reed technique, which is uh, interviewing an interrogation uh, school. And uh, I interviewed approximately 43 people uh, that were within a range or that was either on, on the campus the night before when the nine fires occurred or they were on the campus the night uh, uh, the big fire occurred. And uh, make a long story short, I uh, ended up arresting a um, uh, security guard uh, that had set, had set the fires and, and admitted to, to everything, all, all, the, all the bomb threats, the, the false alarms. And uh, uh, unfortunately, this individual never ended up uh, going to uh, jail. He was given a... Uh, probation, and uh, uh, the re-technique tells you that, uh, you know, as you're interviewing and then ultimately interrogating these people, there could be a bond that, that was, was formed, and uh, about three, four months after this uh, individual was convicted and sentenced to just simply probation, I started getting phone calls from people that were asking me if I was interested, if I could give a recommendation to this individual. And uh, one of them was a, uh, a rabbi that called and asked, uh, should I hire this individual? And I said, well, not unless you want a new uh, uh, temple. And he asked me why. And I said, because he's going to burn it down. And uh, <laughs> I was teaching uh, to some fire do- uh, uh, department one night, and one of the firemen came up and said, oh, you're the individual that arrested so-and-so. He said, well, I'm finally glad somebody got him because uh, uh, he was about 28 when I arrested him. And this firefighter had grown up with him in Newark, New Jersey, and said that, uh, he said, I grew up with this kid. He's been setting fires since he's been five years old, and I'm finally glad somebody got him. So that, well, was, one of my, that was one of my better, better uh, uh, experiences, that, that I finally got this guy for, for, for setting that fire. Yeah, well, you know, I've, I've, I've told all of our fire investigators and, and the general public, uh, fire doesn't follow you around like a dog. Okay, what it does Correct. is if you start having numerous fires, this they're doing it. George, fire prevention, yes. product safety, building design—it all starts with an understanding how fire starts, and that's with a good fire investigation. So, fire investigation is really the cornerstone. What are we trying to achieve in the fire service with that? Well, and, and that's absolutely right. Um, 
what you say. The uh, um, when I started, and I, I have been a volunteer firefighter for about 27 years, and I'm currently an investigator in in a small department, a public department, as a volunteer as well. And I remember over the time, uh, as we, as I grew up in the fire service, uh, literally, and started learning about the different aspects of it, and we did start talking about things like fire prevention, and uh, but. We really didn't start talking about fire investigation until quite a bit later, and, and that aspect of the fire service was was really not that prominent in my mind, and, and in <clears throat> excuse me, and in the community uh, that I was in. But um, when we tell people how to behave uh, in, a, in a fire situation, or when we um, pass fire codes to make people safer, to to govern building design or uh, sprinkler installation or whatever it is. Uh, when we when we have rules on the national level about how products are to be designed or sold, or when when the legal system uh, discusses those, all those things um, boil down to and, and harken back to fire investigation because we have to know uh, how a fire started in order to be able to prevent it from starting. And so it was interesting to me that that the uh, that the community just wasn't wasn't looking at fire investigation as I guess as seriously as I take it because I think that it really is the uh, it really is the um, the cornerstone like you said or like you said about about all of these prevention activities about the making products safer all the things that we do really boil down to understanding how fires start so I think and I'm biased of course but I think fire investigation is as important as anything else in the fire service uh, because I don't- of that. Yeah, I don't. I don't think you're biased at all because with your diverse background between being an attorney and your law enforcement and everything, you do understand. Oh, sure. Yeah, and and I do have, and I have worked as a police officer. I've worked as a prosecutor and prosecuted arson cases, and and as a firefighter. And so I've I've gotten to see the entire spectrum, I guess, of of this. And and I have litigated in uh, products liability and and. Uh, negligence and so forth over fire as well as a private attorney. So mm-hmm. I've seen how all this stuff does come together and, and uh, you know, we, we, we report statistics, the fire service does and so forth. And every now and then a fire cause is, is checked, a box is checked off by somebody who does not have the training, maybe just has a very limited time to make those, make those decisions. And, and that does worry me because then we are getting national t- statistics out of, uh, out of untrained folks. And so certainly hope mm-hmm. we can continue to change that as time goes on. Right. And well, in the private sector, as you know, George, is, um, we have um, a lot of more extensive training. Uh, and, then, uh, and then we also, uh, uh, our whole premise of this show has always been fire prevention first and arson deterrence. Uh, and the reason being is we, uh, uh, that was the reason that Donna and I started this show, uh, to try and help people understand about fire investigations, uh, understand that uh, there are, are hazardous uh, things they, that they can do that, that's going to cause fires and, and keep them from setting themselves on fire, but also uh, also trying to, um, to deter arson, which I know you, you're one of the groups that, that do that internationally. And I'll bet we have not got product specific or actually you know, set out any checklists and things like that on fire safety as of yet. We've been laying the foundation these last few months just for, I, I, there's not a lot of people that really just do not understand fire investigation and they don't understand what we do or why we do it. 
And so it's been several months of us just laying that foundation uh, of educating people who we are, what we are, and then we want to move forward with actual things that will help people. I know I get a lot of questions, you know, and, and there's an intermingling between, oh, so the fire marshal's office, the private, the state, the ATF, all these different things. So that's what we've been spending time uh, doing is that. And I think we're going to take a break here. Yeah, shortly. Um, uh, when we come back, we're going to talk to Scott and Bumper, um, Moylan, about uh, about uh, how some of their investigations and um, and if they've been involved in any of the uh, recalls, uh, CPSC recalls, uh, or if or even the uh, motor vehicle ones, I know they're um, they have got very good uh, uh, firms. So please come back to speaking of fire. See you in a minute. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Fire Consulting International provides consulting and expert fire origin and cause investigations. Our experienced, certified fire investigators have specialized skills to meet litigation requirements. We also provide peer review of reports for other investigative firms to assure they meet NFPA guidelines and ASTM standards. Educational classes and CEU classes are also provided. For professional investigations, contact Fire Consulting International at fcifire.com or call 913-262-5200. FireAnalysis.net offers cutting-edge, comprehensive programs unique to the insurance industry. Our vendor vetting assures regulatory compliance with the Sarbanes-Oxley Act, NFPA guidelines, and ASTM standards. We ensure that investigators' reports are in compliance with those standards. We also offer comprehensive programs to assure compliance with your company guidelines. Please contact FireAnalysis.net. That's FireAnalysis.net. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are listening to Speaking of Fire with Mike Schlattman and Donna Ingram. To call in to today's show... Please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to connect at speakingoffire.com. Now, back to this week's program. Welcome back to Speaking of Fire. Thanks for joining us. Hello, hey Scott. Um, uh, Scott Bennett is the is the first vice president of the International Association of Arson Investigators, and we're here with George Cotting, the president, and Bumper Moylan, the second vice president of that organization. In case you're just joining us, um, Scott, you founded uh, Fire and Explosion Consultants, and I know that you've been involved in uh, literally thousands of investigations over time. Um, 
Have you had any uh, experience with any of the, I know that you've worked them, but I mean, have you had experience with any of the recalls uh, for different products or even uh, vehicle? Uh, absolutely. Um, again, when when we get notified about a fire, we go into the, the investigation wide open. We have no idea if we're looking at an, an, an intentionally set fire or an accidental fire. So once we get into this, if the fire patterns, fire analysis, witness statements, um, fire department account, everything that we consider before we determine the cause of the fire, if it brings us back to a particular product, then the, as I say, the investigation then goes into higher gear. Because we need to know, we want to know, and we owe answers to that homeowner, to that property owner, what happened. Um, many times we will get into a product situation. We will remove the product, bring it back to our office, um, get electrical engineers involved, mechanical engineers. Um, some of the times we will do x-rays um, or even CAT scan uh, of a particular item. Um, once we or the engineers identify where a particular failure or um, a fault has occurred in an appliance, um, we then get the, the attorneys involved. And there's many times that we may not find out for months down the road that there's an actual recall with that particular product. Um, we see that quite a bit in, in our profession. Right, um, and don't they, they call that um, subrogation in that uh, the insured is paid by the uh, by the original uh, carrier, and then uh, the um, subrogation uh, uh, the insurance company steps into the uh, the shoes of the insured, and then uh, sues a particular product for a malfunction. Is that correct? That's absolutely right, Mike. That's absolutely the first thing the insurance company wants to do is make that stakeholder or policyholder make them right, fix the damaged property. Um, once that's taken care of, the insurance company, through their attorneys, will then try to subrogate or go after that defective product. Okay, and Bumper, you um, you also uh, have done literally thousands of fires, and I know that your, your, uh, your home office is in, in somewhere in, in, uh, in Columbus, right? And then, but you're, you're in, uh, you have different offices all, all over the uh, country. Uh, you've, you've certainly been involved in uh, some recalls are, are um, also, have you not? Uh, yes, uh, and one in particular without naming the, the product, but as Scott says, you, you go out and you do your uh, initial investigation in this one particular uh, item, uh, I felt very strongly that that was the uh, uh, cause and origin of the, or the origin and cause of the fire. And, uh, I mean, to the point of insisting upon it, and the, uh, the company was uh, uh, put on notice uh, who sent uh, uh, an engineer out that we all know, name won't be mentioned here on the show, but uh, uh, along with an attorney and uh, uh, in the conversation, uh, I determined that uh, they had been responding to numerous pro- uh, fires involving this product, but there was no, there was no recall on it. And uh, the initial lab exam didn't re- reveal the the specific 
failure mode, so it kind of sat dormant for for a while, and I just wouldn't give up on it. And uh, through the IAAI magazine, uh, in our recall section, lo and behold, six months later, uh, the product was on recall, and part of it was that uh, uh, there had been multiple fires reported uh, with this product, uh, but it never was reported to the Consumer Product Safety uh, Commission. And uh, part of the recall made an announcement that there was multiple fires, including a certain number that were major fires. Well, mine reached a million dollars, and uh, through the uh, Public uh, uh, Freedom of Information Act, we were able to actually find and identify that the company had listed my fire as one of the major ones uh, essentially admitting to their product causing the fire. So that's the one that always sticks out in my mind that, uh, as, as Scott just said, perhaps you, you examine a product and, and you, you know that that's it, but then the recall doesn't come out for a while later. So uh, just, just because it's not out there today, doesn't mean it's not going to be out there tomorrow, next week, six months from now, or a year. That's correct. And I don't don't know that, uh, this specifically, but I imagine NFPA is tracking and has a lot to do with seeing those fires, at least in in it, before it all catches up. Yeah, they keep statistics up, for sure. Um, And I think that this radio show could be a, I could, actually, we could... We could actually be a little bit of a voice uh, to the international, um, because this is an international show. Without could, getting sued, of course. Yeah, we, we won't. <laughs> We're we won't not going to name products. <laughs> yeah, Donna's hair. Donna's hair. Uh, uh, okay, what? we can name people. Uh, okay, no, no, yeah, we could say. <laughs> it's just not products. Donna's blow dryer, you know, did this. Okay, well, anyway, George. I have no idea how close <laughs> to truth that is because the cat <laughs> runs away every time he smells that burnt smell with me in the hair dryer. <laughs> Quit burning your hair. Okay, so, all right, George, you uh, like getting back to intelligent people, uh, away from me, me and Donna. Um, what about, um, what about, you see the legal. I mean, you're an attorney, so you see the the value. the The legal system is the one that really uh, causes these uh, these things to be recalled and and uh, suits, right? Well, that's true. I mean, anything that a fire investigator is doing, I, I suggest to them that when they're doing their work, whether they're public or private, and whether they're looking at a, a possibility of an arson case or a products case or or whatever it might be, that they have to think that their everything they do is going to be played out in court sometime later, maybe in a few years or at least a few months, probably a few years. And so, um, so that really is the arena in which, which all these decisions are made in terms of if a product is allegedly uh, defective in some way and, and that company doesn't want to settle or, or uh, you know, whatever it might be prior to a lawsuit being filed, well, the ultimate, the ultimate end of a lawsuit or a criminal prosecution is a trial. In presenting to a jury or other fact finder, like a judge, uh, the facts of your investigation, what did you see, what did you determine in your opinions? So I tell people, yeah, you're, you're playing to a judge and a jury. You may not know it yet when you go out to, to any fire scene, but you might, be, uh, you might be hearing about this years later when, when things are ultimately decided in court. So yeah, the legal system uh, is, is really kind of the, the final stop for, for some of these things. And that'll, yeah, and a lot of times it is where where 
decisions are made uh, regarding, okay, whether something is defective or whether behavior was negligent or whatever it might be. Well, uh, we really appreciate that, too, because fire investigators, are, our basic thing is to go out, find out the truth, report it back to the uh, the authority, and we even report it back to the authorities uh, having jurisdiction if, uh, if there's an arson, and then that ultimately can go to the um, uh, to the legal um, arena. Um, that's absolutely right, and and that's why I encourage people to, to get to know the lawyers, get to know the lawyers in the profession, and, and get to know their prosecutors and so forth, so they can they can understand more about what the legal yep. system requires of them uh, if, if it should come to that. Right. In fact, we we always say write write your report so because it's going to be read by the by an attorney. Uh, so Absolutely. we write your report. Um, now, Scott, you know, speaking of that, uh, you probably have a strict, uh, and I'm going to ask Bumper right after that. We're getting short on time, but if you will ask, uh, if you'll answer this question succinctly, um, do you have some kind of, of protocol that your reports have to report, correct? I mean, sure. some kind of format, right? We, we do, Mike. We follow the federal rules of evidence with respect to um, preparing a report. We're finding more and more of our clients, the, the insurance companies or law firms that hire us, they're not asking us to prepare a report up front. We're getting called two years later after litigation is going forward, and then we're asked to repair a, a report. Um, so we do have a, we have a written format that uh, my investigators follow. Um, once, once they think the report might be done, it is uh, reviewed technically in-house, um, and then our reports are further, they're peer-reviewed. Mm-hmm. Well, that's great. And I know, um, Bumper, you, you, with SEA, you've got a, a strict format too, don't you? And it has to be um, met, and also it, it's reviewed by senior staff too, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. Yes, yes. And, and well, the, your, your uh, rear reports follow the scientific method as outlined in, in uh, 921? Yes, and the, our, our reports now actually have that that clause in that they're uh, you that know language. the, the uh, mm-hmm. uh, scientific method as prescribed in NFPA 921, and we include uh, NFPA 1033 because uh, that that talks about uh, uh, requirements and in, in uh, we have we have a, a line or a paragraph that actually sets forth that this report has been prepared uh, in accordance with those two documents. Yep. And ASTM standards, I'm sure. Yes. Yes, Donna. Yeah. Yes, and uh, George, you know that's the kind of report you want to read if you're if you're an arson prosecutor or a, uh, a defense attorney for insurance companies uh, in a fraud case, correct? Oh, well, that's absolutely right. Uh, the following the the, the systematic uh, procedures and the scientific method is absolutely critical in fire investigation. Anybody who's keeping up on the the industry knows that now, and so. That's uh, absolutely necessary in those reports. It's necessary too in, in the public sector reports, the fire department and the police and so forth, uh, that they they follow the same standards. Like I say, um, we're all subject to the same the same standards and the same expectations when we pre- pre- uh, do our investigations and when we prepare our reports. Thank you. Right. Well, okay. Um, I just wanted to, before we close, I think Donna had, she wanted to share something. Oh, I, no, I was just, I was trying to lip sync and it doesn't work uh, over here to Mike about, I know Scott and George 
as long as with the hair dryer story I told on myself, I know you guys can tell him the struggle's real. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that, that's uh, yeah, yeah, George and I fully understand that. Yeah, uh, I cannot relate guys. to hair dryer stories. No, me either. I can only relate or, in part of my head. Now, now, Bumper is the only one that's got any real. Uh, well, <laughs> tell me, Bumper, have you got any real experience with hair dryers? <laughs> I'm sorry. Personally or, or professionally? Yeah. <laughs> I didn't hear what I didn't hear what Bumper said. What did he say? I, I, I said, do you want to know the stories, the personal stories or the professional stories? <laughs> no, no, no. no, let's. I, I, I actually, I actually have a hair dryer right here in my office that um, uh, a woman. A uh, waitress uh, who has a, 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 a hairdressing profession during the day and then does waitressing at night and came over to our table the other night and talking about she was blow-drying a woman's hair and the hairdryer caught fire right in her hands. And uh, it was like, oh, oh what are you going to do with that? Well, I, don't, I was just going to throw it away. No, you're not. <laughs> I, I, I want that. I want to look at it. We want to examine it. We, we love to catch these things when uh, uh, they're very, very small so we can identify the failure mode in case we run across it in some kind of major fire. Oh. Okay, well, uh, do, do, me, do, me, do me a favor. Don't use it, okay? <laughs> Even if it's in your office, please don't use it. Okay. Now, George, uh, I want to thank you for your service as the president of the International. I know that uh, you'll be changing and going to the past presidency here in April. You did a great job, in, in my estimation, um, and, um, and with, the, with the assistance of Scott and, and Bumper. Uh, Scott, uh, welcome to the presidency here in April, and uh, I hope that you have a wonderful year um, as as president. Bumper, that moves you up to first vice president, so you're going to be right there in the wings. So help, uh, please help uh, uh, Scott out uh, as much as you can, and um, and then of course we'll be electing a second vice president at the uh, at the ITC. I'm the elections chairman, so I'll be admitting it, um, uh, announcing it. Thank you, gentlemen, for being here. Thank well, you. Mike and Donna, thank you for having us. Yes, um, yes. Thank, thank you, for both of you, and uh, thank the audience for listening to us and putting up with us for this last yes. hour. <laughs> okay. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my God. And well, stay on the line, but I've, I'm going to have to close the show. Uh, next week, we have arson in the U.S. government with uh, Steve Austin, uh, who is the uh, the who started the Congressional Fire Service Institute, uh, he is our liaison to um, to government. We have Don Robinson, ATF, uh, who runs Inseeder, and Steve Carmen, uh, Rod Pevito um, from the International. Uh, the Pevito is the CFI chair. And we'll see you next week. Thank you for being here. Come back. Thank you for tuning into Speaking of Fire. Please join your hosts, Mike Schlattman and Donna Ingram, for another edition of our program next Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Remember to be careful this week and every week.